Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hi everyone, Dr. Jennifer here. If you've been feeling frustrated in your sexual relationship, you don't feel there's the passion or aliveness that you've been seeking, that there's not enough romance or connection, consider enrolling in my Enhancing Sexual Intimacy course. I designed this course to help couples better understand the meanings that are operating between them that are killing the source of energy and passion in their marriage and what they can do to change that pattern how they can create a sexual relationship that feels more authentic, more passionate, and more alive. Click on the link in my show notes to get more information about the course. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Stoic Dad podcast. Uh, a lot of great reception out there online, a lot of people, a lot of followers, so we're excited for how this has gone. Um, today, we have a very special guest. Actually, this is our very first female guest. We've kind of been- Let's uh, go! Sticking with only <laughs> only male guests and uh, a very special guest as well to uh, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. I said that right, right? Yeah, you did. You nailed okay. it. I've listened to some of your podcasts. I'm like, I want to make sure I say this name. We've, yeah. we've done our homework. <laughs> and and I love all the podcasts too. My my wife and I are, are, are really big into podcasts. Um, and so just as we're doing the dishes and as we're, you know, about our day, we listen to podcasts. I, I've, I've loved a lot of your content out there. So we're excited to have you uh, on the show. Right. Um, so just to give a, a quick bio background on Dr. Jennifer, as as you like to be called, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she is a, a relationship and sexuality educator and a coach. Um, she's a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois with a PhD in counseling psychology from Boston College. Uh, she wrote her dissertation on LDS women and sexuality. If you don't know what LDS is, that's members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of which all three of us uh, belong to, actually. Um and she's taught college-level courses on human sexuality. Uh, she currently teaches online courses, does live workshops uh, to individuals and couples seeking to develop their capacity for deeper emotional and sexual intimacy. So we're really excited to have you on the podcast, Jennifer. Great. Thanks for having me. Or Dr. Jennifer. I mean. Well, Jennifer's fine. Well, don't, we don't need to do all the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, just as a, as a kind of an intro, uh, help us maybe understand uh, a little bit where you're from and what, what you know, initially brought you into this uh, very niche um, uh, mm-hmm. little corner of, of counseling and psychology. So true. Well, you know, growing up as a Latter-day Saint, I, I loved my LDS community. I loved the deep sense of belonging and purpose that was a part of my childhood. Um, I grew up in Vermont where there are not many Latter-day Saints. And so there was this very cohesive experience of being in this kind of small group. So while I loved it and I saw my sort of spiritual home begin there, you know, in a sense of God and a sense of what I did mattered, I also could see suffering within marriages and I could see I was a perceptive little person and I could see women, especially like growing up in this idea that women should sort of be led by their husbands and women should stay home and women should not get a career. And, you know, there's just a lot of these ideas that to me felt entrapping 
for women and also seeing that women and men were not thriving in marriage. And so even though the culture really values marriage, I could see marriage is not necessarily happy. So I think it was just a problem that I was just my heart and soul was drawn to. And I was trying to figure out how to reconcile the truth of ideas about, you know, the best ways to behave in the world, how to create good that were there for me, but how they seem incongruent with many of our notions of gender and marriage and so on. So I pursued that, you know, studying counseling, women's studies. I wrote my dissertation on LDS women and sexual agency because a lot of my friends were getting married and hated sex and had no connection to this part of themselves and their marriage was therefore struggling. So I started down that path developed, you know, content and courses for women and then for couples. And well, actually, I think I started with couples and then for women and then ultimately did a course um, a year. I mean, it took me a bit because I'm like, who am I to tell men how to be? <laughs> but, you know, I just saw a lot of the ways that men were struggling in relationship to their sexuality and in partnership. And so I developed a course called The Art of Loving that's really to help men who've grown up in religious culture or have an ambivalent relationship to sexuality. That is that they like it, but they fear it or they're uncertain how to feel about it and that they have often been less able to create a place of freedom and joy in their marriages or in their lives around sexuality. And so um, so that's been, a you know, the focus of my work is to help people to develop this, to integrate their sexuality and create goodness with it has really been my work. Amazing. I love that. Um, uh, uh, another question, I guess, to follow up on that. Um, and, and this is obviously, you know, for, for Ryan and I, for you, we understand the LDS quote unquote culture pretty well, especially within like the realm of church leadership. Has there been any type of pushback and, or maybe awkwardness, you know, with what you do specifically and, the, the greater LDS culture, especially within like leadership? Plenty of awkwardness, but no pushback from leadership. Pushback from people in the pews sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, who are like, what? You know, we're in the church. How could you be talking about this? You know, so because they have this idea that sexuality is incongruent with spirituality. And so mm -hmm. that belief has made me seem at times like a threat. But What's maybe most remarkable and what's happened is the is the group I'm speaking to has been evolving and changing. So the conversations are very different now than they were 15 years ago when I first started doing some of this, where I was much, much more careful and qualifying and trying to teach the spirit of the law, so to speak. Um, but I mean, I think because so many people want a way to have their faith and their sexuality, that while it may throw people, they are, it speaks to them. There's something they're trying to solve. And I think because my way of thinking gives them a chance at reconciling two things that really matter to them, they're pretty open to what I'm saying, at least open to considering it. That's great. Yeah. And that was something I, I, I thought about as I was listening to one of your podcasts. Uh, I think you were talking about your dissertation and some of the data around that, around masturbation and around, you know, some of yeah. the experiences prior to marriage. Um, 
And I just thought, man, that's such a, it's such a touchy subject to talk about within really, I think yeah. a lot of Judeo-Christian faiths, you know Absolutely. what I mean? Like it's very, very off limits. Um, I had the opportunity uh, to, to rub shoulders with Brad Wilcox so, several yes. years ago, you know, and, and we, um, we kind of sat down and talked about a couple different things. I, I was working somewhere where he had, he was there often. And so we kind of connected um, and we got on that subject of shame and the, the pamphlet. I remember the pamphlet from when I was a missionary for young men only. I'm not sure yeah. if you're familiar with yeah, that. I know, I know right? that yeah, I know. Yeah. Ryan laughs. Right. We all, we all know what that is and stuff in the factory. I'm and all twiddling my thumbs right now. Yeah. <laughs> Taking a cold shower as we speak. Um, and, and there was a young man that, that Brad had interacted with who, had had prepared to serve as an LDS missionary and um, the, the, the stake president, who's the ecclesiastical leader uh, over the, the area, said, hey, if, if you can't stop masturbating, I'm, I, I'm sorry, you can't go on a mission. It's not going to work. Yeah. And Brad became somewhat uh, uh, irked by that. And he he went over the stake president's head. And actually, the, the whoever was above that stake president said, hey, we got to send this guy to, to be yeah. a missionary. This is the best place for him. So I, I think that I, you, you're correct. There's a lot of evolution within, I think, all Christian faiths, but certainly within the LDS faith, where we're starting to accept uh, the fact that those two things are not, like you said, incongruent, right? Um, yes. I, have, I have a good friend. If I don't know if he, I think he listens to the podcast, but he, this is kind of a silly concept. But he's like, we have a, a open door masturbation policy in our house. You know, what I mean, mm. like, look, we realize that this 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 is a reality that it happens. I'd much rather that my children come and talk to me explain yeah. to me what's going on so I, I we really appreciate the work that you're doing i think it's um i think it's something that that is sorely needed in not not just yeah. lds culture but like i said judeo-christian culture yes and and jennifer you have a course i think that you created for parents to yes present sexuality healthily with their children and, and a lot right. of jordan's questions he's provided you know are are covering this a little bit yeah that's right yes i'm really Wanting, you know, I talk about sexual integrity, which is how do you literally integrate your sensual capacity? Because any part of joy is the sensuality of the body. But we fear sensuality because we're afraid it will take us down. You know, like you eat too much or you are too sexual or you're too. And so and it's true. It can like because out of moderation, the, the pleasure can be destructive, but to thrive in life, you have to integrate pleasure. And that is you, you accept your capacity for pleasure, but you integrate it with your morality. And the more able we are to do that, the more and more freedom and joy we feel in our lives. So what I'm helping parents do is to think about how do you offer an understanding to your children of the goodness of the body, the goodness of their sensual and sexual capacity while offering them a framework of morality in which that's going to bless their lives and their relationships. So it's, it's, you know, it's really rather than shaming or permissiveness, how do you offer the framework to integrate sexuality? Yeah, that's great. And I, that kind of leads us into our, maybe one of the first questions you said the word moderation. Um, yes. And, and we don't want to give away too much about what's in your courses because we want people to, uh, to, you know, okay. to participate in the courses. But there's so much more there that, yeah, it's OK. Yeah, not, not just a five minute, you know, <laughs> yeah. excerpt. Um, well, luckily, it took her years, it took her years to make this. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't cover it in an hour. Um, you know, so so within like the Stoic philosophy, we look heavily at um, desires 
and 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 that they're okay obviously but we look at moderation and in, in everything moderation mm-hmm. what you eat moderation and how you sleep uh, mm-hmm. we, we try to kill desires especially incentives where ryan and i are always philosophizing i guess on the concept of how do we destroy incentive and make incentive to be the good in and of itself right how do we desire things that are so good? massive in a marriage too the way mm. you're presenting this question jordan yeah mm-hmm. because you know i'll let you finish your question but everyone listening think about that in your marriage mm. you know to do good because you are good versus like do i get a cookie you know men want cookies especially too i feel like women are much more adept (laughs) like they're born like with this you know with the maternal uh spirit in them and Mm. i think they serve so much more effectively than men whereas men are like well i did the dishes you know i mean or i i clean it's also women's achilles heel though so what i mean is while we're kind of wired to self-sacrifice because that's how the baby stays alive if women use self-sacrifice to not forge a self well, then they become unable to be in a marriage, unable to be intimate. So just to be clear, like we may have our proclivities, but out of moderation, either one of those works against us because there's strength and liability in each of those dispositions. Wow. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's, a, that's one of the quotes, I think, right there. That's an excerpt. Of there. <laughs> so, keep, keep them coming, Jennifer. Keep them keep coming. On. Love them. So let me ask this question. So I guess the it's kind of abstract, but like, how do we desire sexuality at a level that is healthy? Because like you said, it is such a powerful passion. It's such a powerful force Mm. of nature that we feel, you know, we tend to view, like, like I said, Ryan and I, Ryan's more of a cynic philosophically. I'm more of a Mm. stoic. It's like, Mm. so he's looking for pain, pain creation all the time versus, you know, uh, pain relief or pleasure creation, but how do we create a level that's appropriate, a, a appropriate level of sexuality without getting carried away? How is that done? Or what are what are tools or what are the mechanics? Yes. Of that, you know? So uh, first of all, I think it's important to. It's making me very curious about cynicism. Like I know cynicism as a as a as a, a kind of thinking uh, from the you know from the Greek era or the Roman era, whenever it was, but I don't know it enough to know what that means. But anyway, we'll we'll talk about that later. (laughs) But anyway. Okay. okay. I don't know. Like I told you, Jordan knows all this. I just came into this. I just say that. Ryan just likes to put himself through as as much pain as possible because that purifies him in in his his uh, philosophical view. Because I, I desire, if I desire nothing, I need nothing. And if I need nothing, I can serve infinitely. Got it. Got it. Got it. Because I never have to think about myself. Right. And so, and and I, part of Jordan's question, I know we're crazy. We're 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 all over the place, man. But, but like when you're in a marriage, okay. And you feel like you need, it's hard for you to empathize and to think about your partner. And so if you're desiring, you're, you know, constantly desiring this thing and you're not getting it, you're going to resent. And, and it, yeah. you know when is it okay? Got it. I hope okay, this makes I'm sense where we're going, where we're tackling. Yeah, when right, is it and okay it's a little bit in Buddhism. Level? At least how we think about Buddhism is like desire is the root of all suffering, right? That right. idea. Right. So when yes. we want things and we can't only limited control about getting them, and this is especially true in marriage because you may desire your partner, you desire, but you can't control getting them to desire you back. This is a source of a lot of suffering if you're the higher desire person. But I don't think of it this way. And then just another qualifier before I give my thoughts about 
my answer to your question is that this idea of how do we not get carried away? Well, I think the question is carried away with what? What are we trying to avoid? Because sometimes we think we shouldn't have too much passion. We shouldn't have too many sexual feelings. We should just be like muted and tamped down. And I don't think that's true. In fact, I think sometimes the most transformative and transcendent sex is deeply carnal okay now i know to the lds years that's like what carnal Wait <laughs> let's <a second>. go <laughs> because we we've linked carnal and selfish inaccurately right okay uh, so, interesting okay like i'll come back but carried away in what sense if you're getting carried away in selfishness in self-service in indulgence okay that's the problem so yes. now let's back up a moment here so going back to this desires versus desireless I don't think the right understanding of Buddhism is that desirelessness. Sorry that Ryan, that I'm going to smash here. <laughs> it's okay. This is I why we're think, on here. I don't think the goal <laughs> is desirelessness. I think it's the distinction between lower desires and higher desires. What are desires that expand us and grow us and make us into better people versus desires that are more ego serving? Beautiful. Yeah. And so I'm often, you know, a lot of times women have learned, oh, I should have no desires. And so they actually take refuge in the desireless position at their expense, the expense of their marriages, the expense of their ability to feel happy in their lives. Um, and that's not the goal, because there's a way of actually protecting the ego through desirelessness. And that's not strong. Okay, yes. so now I'm going to back up one more time, just to kind of make sure you understand where I'm coming from. I think the we talk about um, so a lot of us believe the body is the enemy to spirituality, right? right? Feelings, man. sensuality, the physical world is is antithetical to the spiritual. And in LDS theology, that's just not true, even though we teach it culturally like it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what is the antith what's antithetical? What's natural man? What is antithetical to spiritual development is the ego. That is Let's the part go. of us that wants to serve ourselves, make ourselves feel good. I don't want to desire you because maybe you'll reject me and that will puncture my ego. So I'm just not going to desire you. You know, I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to reach towards you. Or we can desire out of ego. Love me. It's not I love you. It's do you love me? Yeah. I, I, I desire this. you. Do you desire me? Yes. And so our ego is driving a lot of what we're doing in our marriages and in our lives. And that does undermine our ability to move into a deeper ability to love and know because if we can sacrifice ego meaning lose yourself to find yourself is to sacrifice ego to find your strength and your wisdom to find your ability to love the right hand's not following all the time what the left hand doeth right and so right. you're you're moving into a deeper freedom because i already am at peace with myself i can tolerate the potential of rejection. I can tolerate what is true about me or about us over what feels good. Then you're actually freed up to desire, not for how it serves my ego, but, but in a marriage, I desire you not to fill up something empty in me, but out of the whole, the fullness to create, to, to create, create something. Exactly. Because my husband, our, yeah, go on, go no, go on. Well, my husband makes a distinction between wanting and desiring. Wanting is like emptiness. I have a want for food, a want for validation. I'm trying to fill it up through you in the name of love. Rather than yes. desire is out of wholeness, out of creating something, out of an investment in another person, that I value you, I cherish you, 
that's the kind of desire that feels good to another person. I'm known and chosen. And that I would never want my husband to be desireless relative to me. <laughs> I would feel bad, yeah. you know, it would feel yes. self ego protective to him, in my view. Right. So mm -hmm. Let me then, cause I, I'll clarify a little bit. Yes. And I love the way you presented that. Cause it was absolutely beautiful. Mm. And as a man or men, we tend mm -hmm. to use our wives yes. or can use Absolutely. our wives yes. and because we need in a release. Uh -huh. yes. yes. We need a release. That's Seemingly right. In the and world. so yeah. this is when I say absence of want then maybe not desire because yep. we've identified or we've defined absence of want. I want to delete want because my partner not, might not be ready or at a state where, where she or he can. Yeah. Well, not to mention know, that wanting is always bad in my view <laughs> yes okay I so it's not even about whether or not they're ready it's that what i'm offering is not about love even though it feels like it so a lot of high desire people confuse do you love me with i love you do you see what i'm saying like yes. they yes and so they're like look i'm ready to love and desire you what's your problem when the lower desire person feels like it sure doesn't feel like love it feels like you're sucking the life out of me because you are you know so it's it's never a good thing it's never you know a, a partner is never a solution to your reflected sense of self and to be fair women do this as much as men do this even if they do it in more gender specific ways I'm yeah. marrying you for economic stability. I'm marrying you to make me feel safe or protected or whole, but I don't necessarily want to choose you to invest in your happiness, to create something shared with you. You know, the role base is very easy place to take cover. So that goes into my other question then as either the man or the woman, but in this case, the, the man, um, because you're in a position where maybe you don't, have want maybe you because i believe and when i say this when i say because i say a man should learn to suffer infinitely so that he can serve his wife and children infinitely mm. because he never has to think selfishly but mm -hmm. when i mean suffer i think mm -hmm. that's the absence of want like you just suggested yeah. i can sit in discomfort yeah i'm willing to sit in discomfort yeah because I, then I, discomfort. I don't have yeah yes it's purpose so that i can serve my wife and children in line with my values because I'm not manipulated yes. by my want, right? Yeah, good, and my good. desire is to create, my desire is to create with my wife, create with my children. But the problem is, well, maybe not the problem, but my question is, what if one half is lacking there? And that's where there's a moment for you to serve, right? And luckily you don't have wants because you can serve your partner, but maybe how do you position yourself to get in that position? How do you, as a partner, yeah. what are actions you take daily to find that sense of desire versus that sense of want, that sense to create mm -hmm. with your partner versus the I need, I need, yeah, I maybe, need, maybe like me, a, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, some practical Go, tools, right? As, lis as listeners yes. listen, they're like, yeah, I love the, the abstract that concept. That sounds so of this. good. Yeah. I, I want to What are able, the practical yeah, I, tools? Yeah. I, I want to suffer infinitely. I don't want to yeah. watch, you know, anything. Yeah, yeah. So so just to your point of which I really love is that the thing that always makes us stronger is meaningful suffering. Right? Oh, is step, right is stepping into what matters here and I'm willing to do the hard thing. And you know, like for me if I'm like working on a chapter of the book or whatever and I'm just stuck and I'm like, ah, you know, it's like now is a good time to look at Instagram or whatever, because I want relief, yeah. <laughs> relief yes. from that, that discomfort, from that right. anxiety. And I just do it intuitively. But every time I step away, it, 
you know, I now have to get back to where I was. I've got to go back to that difficult place and pursue. So it serves me better to to oh, embrace the difficult. So you know? powerful. Yes. And and so every time I think embrace the, the suck, embrace the difficult, it helps to know it's a meaningful struggle. I'm sacrificing my comfort for something better. So, something so in important. a relationship, yeah. then, let's yeah. call it the suffering muscle. Why not? Yeah. This suffering, this meaningful suffering muscle in a relationship. Yeah. What would you, if I came to you as a man yeah. and you recognize that I lacked that? Okay. Well, this I, is what I would say. What do yes. I do? <laughs> well, let me. Okay, perfect. So, so what These I would be not, saying to you is, first of all, you. <laughs> first, yeah, yo, perfect. I would say to you, listen. You're not very trustworthy to your spouse. You're not very desirable to her. You want her to desire you, but you know you're not desirable because you know you're in you may not know it yet here but your your cells know it that you're in an indulgent position right and you're trying to get her to solve something which is a way of using her not loving her so I, what i start with is the truth I, I really do try to help people to see how they are instinctively using because human beings when we're lower in development we use each other and um, wow. and so I help people to see because what happens is, you know, people with conscience say like, oh, my gosh, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that person. And what happens is as they wake up, their higher desires emerge when oh. we're blind, our lower desires and our wants right. are running yeah. the show. But so some people think I'm mean just for the fun of it or whatever, but I'm trying to wake people up in these conversations. I don't know if they really think that, but you know, I'm trying to wake them up, not because I want them to hurt, but I want them to see, like Einstein says, you can't solve a problem at the level at which the problem was created. You have to raise your intelligence and see the actual problem. And when you do that, you see yourself in it and you increase your agency. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, this is so powerful because yeah. then your inability to suffer is what separates you from your conscience. Yes, right? exactly. Your That's inability to suffer with meaning. You can't see the higher values. You have to come out of the fog of wars. I call it with the, with right. the men I, I, that, I, that I train. And this is, I love, this is, I'm all in. I'm yeah. all in. Buy all our courses, everybody. All in. <laughs> We're signing up. We're going to the next retreat. We're in. I'm so right. in. Done. It's but, when but, you but, start putting yeah. validation as more important than truth, and you don't okay, do that so meaning that for suffering. So that, okay, so that's the question, how that suffering, when it, I can't see my values, what are my steps? Because, yeah. you know, some people, there's you, because you mentioned with writing your book, yeah, it's like, okay, I'm stepping away. I'm going to go on Instagram. Yeah, Is like, there a moment a, in a relationship? Go, go, Jordan. Yeah, well, like, question, what are the but, practical tools there? Because a okay, lot of people so here, listening so, here, they're, yeah, they're good. looking for something. Like, like, I want like, this. What can I I'm getting to you. I'm getting yeah. it for you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not no, I'm great sorry. at practical, I'm so impatient. you guys might have to help I'm, me get I'm some wanting. really practical. Okay, I'm wanting, I'm wanting, see? Okay, so I help people to wake up. That's what my courses do. The first half of the men's course is like, you know, the people tease me. It's like, you, <laughs> you got me to buy this course for better sex. And then the first four sessions are just about me, like, you know, being disgusted with myself, not in an unproductive way, but waking up to like, no wonder Calling she doesn't like this. Calling them out. Yeah, exactly. Calling you to be stronger by seeing more truthfully. Then your higher desires emerge. I've seen it happen with so many good people where they're like, I don't want to be like that. I have to be a better man. And they're doing it for their wife. They're doing it for their kids, but they're doing it for themselves too. 
their own conscience is saying, I can't be this. I don't like this in me. I don't respect it, much less she doesn't respect it. So then your higher desire becomes more present. I want to be more fair. I want to be kinder. I want to be more invested in my children's lives. I don't want to make my kids reinforce my ego. I want to be there to facilitate their development, their growth. So that starts to get clearer out of the ashes of your punctured ego. And so then you start, what I tell people, here's the practical, is write up a vision statement, an I statement. You know, I did this when I was younger. I wanted to be someone that I respected. I put it in the first person present. I don't even know why I did that. I'm sure I heard that idea somewhere. But I wrote, you know, I am a self-confident person who is comfortable in her own skin, who is kind to other people, who's a hard worker, who does difficult things, who takes good care of her body. You know, and I just wrote out a detailed description of the person that I desired to be. At times I thought, well, I'm not really her. I'm lying to myself. I'm pretending I'm something I'm not. You know, but if I could speak to my younger self, I would say, no, you were articulating your higher self right there. Oh, and you owe so it good. to you owe it to yourself to become her. Right. That's oh your gosh. higher desires. And then what happens is how people feel about you is not as important as what is true about you. So that is to say, if I'm out of line and I'm not being fair and kind or whatever, that which is my higher desire, I want to hear what your experience is because you might see me accurately and I want to know it. Right. But that's different than I need you to tell me I'm a good person for me to be in relationship with you. You're, you're, <laughs> that's you're doing a different more, idea. You're, it's like companionship inventory, right? That's, yes. what, that's what you're looking for. Like, hey, give me some, give me some yeah. inventory. Well, and I, I think for me specifically, um, when I'm trying, it's, it's, it, I guess the question that I had was more like what tools of introspection, you know, do, do oh, you yeah. Yeah. people, right? Perfect. Where it's like, I've hey, got some. Yeah. It's like, Hey, how do we, how do we create that cognitive distance and daily. Really look at it for good, yeah, daily good. and be like, what the, oh, they, what the they seep in the selfishness. I forgot already. I forgot already my values. They're gone. I, yeah. I, oh, it's so easy. I feel angry. They're gone. I, I don't even know who I am anymore. Yeah. yeah. How do right. I anchor myself? How do I anchor myself perfect, to those perfect. values? What's the one thing I do every day? Okay. So one is that vision. So, okay, let, let me start it somewhere else. Cause you need to make sure that what you're actually writing out has some traction in it, something yes. connected to something real in you. But one of the things I do in my strength, both in the men's course, the art of loving and the strengthening your relationship course is I'm helping people to see the crap they do when they're under pressure, when they're not getting the validation they want, when we don't yes. get what we want, our lesser selves come rushing to the, to the rescue. We forget who we are. We do. And we do stupid, mean things and we, you know, do self-serving things. Well, what I would highly, so what I do is once I teach people those, I, I want them to go and think about what they already know they do and then ask their spouse what they haven't have yet to understand about themselves right. and to really get a clear picture. What would it be like to be my child? What would it be like to be my partner? But the, here's the activity is that at the end of the day to think about a moment where, you know, you were regressed, you know, you were you were off, even if you don't know exactly in what way. And even if your regressive mind is saying it was 100 percent justified, Ryan, you have <laughs> nothing to apologize <laughs> yeah. for. OK, <laughs> but to push yourself on this question, which is, OK, what was I doing that was unfair, indecent? What am I pretending not to know about my role in that oh, difficult moment? Wow. Right? Because we're so good at lying to ourselves. Now, it helps 
to go and do something physical while you're asking yourself these self-confronting questions because it helps you to get out of your regressive mind. So there's been times where I like, go do some push-ups. Let's go. Exactly. I'll be on a walk. What is my, no, I don't have a role. I'm certain I'm absolutely gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then, you know, maybe a quarter mile in, I'm like, okay, well, maybe that was a little unfair. You know, <laughs> by the time I get home, you know, hopefully on a good day, I'm like, I wasn't being decent about this. And even though my spouse may have a role or my teenager may have a role in this, I'm going to stay focused on my role because it's the only part I have control over. What was I doing to contribute to this difficulty? And I'm going to deal with my role, whether that's going and say, I know I was being unfair in this way. And, you know, I'm going to spare you all the ways I know that you are being unfair. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Let's just talk about well, how I was being unfair. But you deal with how you're being unfair. Incredible. Okay. okay. So this, oh, then I'll let you finish. You have more. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm trying to just keep it. No, that's a great tool. I think that's a great, like Mm -hmm. very, very simple tool, right? To where Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, let's just start here. Men, you heard everything that she said. That's, that's the first step in understanding some of this stuff. Yes. And then, and then I'll just say one more thing to that is you don't go back and apologize because you want to prove to your wife, you're a good guy. I mean, that keeps you stuck. You go back and you do. You do differently because you want to be a better guy, because you want to be somebody that's decent and trustworthy. And if you're not there yet, you need to maybe keep pushing yourself, because unless it's anchored into your morality, you will always feel controlled by the people you love. You'll feel like you've got to earn their sense of self and it will make it difficult to truly love them because your sense of self is running around in them. So what we would say as a stoic, what we say as a stoic is you you have to do this because of the value of the intrinsic versus the external, right? Most people are valued heavily the external, whereas the true, uh, in Greek philosophy, eudaimonia, peace, right? Uh, Chara, joy, that all comes from the intrinsic. And it's like, you can't, nothing's going to work out if you do it based on the external. The the intrinsic is, is the only true incentive. Yeah. This is so massive. And so when I talk about lack of want, as you put it, yeah, it, it creates a situation where I, it's all intrinsic. That's and right. so there is an opportunity then, because let's say your partner is having a rough go yeah, and they correct you on something. Yeah. If you lack want, you can say, Hey, conscience, where are you? Yes, right? exactly. And you, and then it goes, you're good. And in, th- in this case, cause usually yeah. men are pleasing. They do everything their wife wants and then they resent because they don't know if they're right or wrong. They can't connect to their conscience. And why am I not getting my cookie? I'm doing everything right. She's asking, but they're not living in line with their values. That's right. And so when you say trust and, you know, dependent on, or you're dependable, you're in line with your values too. So if your wife disagrees with you, but you disagree with your wife, your values do, then you get to empathize. Yes. Yes. Because you're not thinking self-servingly, right? It's, em- it's empathize. You can empathize. Am I, am I, t- yeah. am I hearing this correctly? You know, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. And, you know, I mean, I have to say as a woman, like, wh- like I can be persuasive and convincing and emotional, you know, like I'm good at like, you know, working my husband over if I try. You, know? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you have a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, but what I have been most appreciative of about my husband in this marriage is that while he cares about me being happy and he does care what I think and feel, he won't betray his honest self for me to like him or feel good about him. And so often it's where you know there is that backstop that it's in him. It limits my power in a good, that sounds bad. It limits that this is not going to be a validation-based marriage. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a truth-based marriage. And that makes it more trustworthy. That makes me 
respect him more and trust him more that my approval is not going to run the marriage. And because that's giving me more control than I, than any person should have. Um, and I, I know I'm hijacking a lot of Jordan's questions here. No, but this you is go. just so, Do so, so powerful. We're co-hosts, um, Ryan. Because I, yeah. I know, but your, your questions are so, you, no, you, man, you're so smart, you. man. Let's go. Okay. So, all right. With this, um, this confidence level, it's a bit, you're, you're connected to your conscience and you, you have your values and um, it's a, a truth versus validation relationship on your side. Mm-hmm. But let's say, okay, I've been doing this for two weeks now, right? Like, I can't she see? Yeah, I'm totally. Just, I, you know, right. like, it's, it's been a month now. It's been a year now. <laughs> yeah. Don't I deserve something? Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, it's, and not realizing it's, you're still in the old model. Yes, right. It yeah. catches you off guard. Yes, it does. You're still in the old model. Now, there is some truth in that. There can be. So that is to say. Uh, I have three ideas about that. One is like, oh, when am I, I going to get my cookie? Them. Okay. Yeah. So there's, yeah. when am I going to get my cookie, which is crap. I'm still in the same stupid model. I thought I was so far ahead and I'm still doing the same thing. There's That's one idea. The other is that you actually aren't changing as much as you think. And she knows it. Let's just go, you know, so you think I'm so much better and it's not true you just want to tell yourself it's true. So there's that possibility that you're not as developed as you think, which is different than that means you deserve no love until you've gotten it all worked out. I don't mean that, but you may be thinking, why doesn't she trust me? And you still haven't really cleaned yourself up as much as you think. That's number two is a possibility. And number three is you really have, and you really are bringing stronger, but your partner is a chooser also and may not, what I actually see in marriage is a lot is when one person actually takes a step up. And sometimes this has been the woman taking the step up first. Sometimes it's been the man taking the step up first, but it is putting pressure on the other person to grow. And a lot of times that person wants the one who's secondarily growing wants to stay in the too little, too late frame because it justifies them not confronting their own anxieties, their own development. Mm-hmm. So they may be pulling down falsely because they're afraid of growing into it. They want to kind of hijack the idea that, you know, I don't trust you yet. And eventually at some point I will, but really it's about not growing themselves. So it can be a little tricky, even for me as a, as a third party, sometimes figuring out, is it because he, he, in this case, let's say has grown and she's afraid of that. Or is it that this really isn't as he's trying to put lipstick on a pig and this isn't as good as he thinks. Right. And and so it's trying to figure out which is which in that, but you know what the indicator would be. Is there something that you're looking for um, to, to be able to distinguish the two? Yeah. One, here's an idea at least that comes to mind is one is that you're not so much, if it's really more solid in you, you're not in a struggle with your partner, right? You are more settled within yourself and allowing them to have an actual choice, right? That is, she doesn't have to choose me. She doesn't have to deal with her sexuality. She doesn't have to grow up. She really gets to choose. Now, I may make a decision to not stay in a marriage in which she doesn't really want a marriage, okay? She doesn't want a true partnership of souls, but 
she gets to have a choice. And when we're in there trying to get them to make the right choice, we're still too involved oh, in their ego. Let's and, go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I yeah. love this so much because mm. I think as a man, if you truly want to serve your wife, this mm. and this support, I mean, this is just, you have to, you make a choice, you know, mm. you either are all out because mm. you're aligned with your values yeah. and you're like divorce on the table. I'm aligned in this choice. Yeah. We're out. But if you decide to stay, then you're all in. Yeah, exactly. You're all in. And that is the good. It's yes. not anything that else comes. And so, and if anything is, it, you're, you're willing to, this person can never change. Almost. And I, you yep. can, you can catch me on this. Cause I know there's unhealthy, okay? yeah. uh, you, you know, yes. self-sacrifice to this ex extent, but there has to be a choice made. And we have, once that choice is made, you have to go all in. Yeah, else. I do agree with that. So a you're lot of people you're straddle, they straddle yeah, they, they, as like the higher desire person, but they don't realize they're, they're putting an anxiety and ambivalence into the marriage in the name of waiting patiently. Right. Yes. And so they don't actually realize, yes, they don't see like, I actually haven't, even if I'm higher desire, I haven't actually chosen one way or the other. And we don't like choosing one way or the other because it demands a self-definition and we want to get away from, we want validation. Like, you know, I'll choose you if you, but you go first, you choose me first. The second thing I'd say about it is all in is not doormat. It is not, yes. you can treat me like crap and I'll never go anywhere because I'm all in. All in is I am invested. This is how I think about marriage. I made a promise to God about the kind of human I would be vis-a-vis -vis you. That's the Let's commitment, go. right? So it's not that I'm committed to you no matter how you treat me, no matter what you do, because it may no longer be good to stay in some situations. But the commitment is I will bring my most truthful, honest self my most courageous self to this friendship, this partnership. Therefore, if you're all in, you do speak truthfully, right? Like I work with people where they patronize their wives by not speaking the truth. Now, the wives are complicit in it. I'm, again, I'm just speaking from the man's perspective because women do this to their husbands. They don't, they protect the egos of their husband. They don't tell them the truth all the time to yes. inflate a pseudo masculine strength, right? Mm -hmm. But right. but going back to just like the man, you are willing to not patronize and to see your spouse as actually an equal, actually able to handle herself and handle what's truthful. Oh. It doesn't mean you're mean. It doesn't mean you're insensitive. It doesn't mean, but you're willing to name the struggle in the marriage because you want it to thrive. You're able to talk honestly about your experience because you want it to be strong. So from the perspective of a man in mm -hmm. this way, I really love something you just said about the strength of the woman who's protecting her man. Mm -hmm. yes. Because she, you are such a weak man you're listening to this right now you are such a weak man that your wife is scared to bring things up yes exactly there's so because many because you think you think so selfishly so quickly right you know? the men are like how dare you know i'm so i men, do this and this and this exactly i've done this 17 things and you still don't appreciate me yeah. uh, so so either they make it really costly to speak honestly or they kind of spiral into, I just sucked. You know, I guess I'm yeah. the world's oh, worst. You're I'm a terrible. genius. She understands us. Yeah. She's a genius. Yeah, the, the wind's out of your sails and you just mope around. And so your wife thinks that she hurt you. Yes. When she's just being, right. just being truthful. Right. 
And women, women want, they want their husbands to be strong. So they will often be complicit in not revealing their liabilities. But then what the paradox is, is you actually relate to him like he's weak. So, you know, there's no desire there. No, no, you can't desire. If you see a man as weak, you will not desire him. You may coddle him. You may capitulate to his sexual desires, but you will not desire him because that's the maternal instinct. And the maternal instinct is not a sexual one. Mm -hmm. Wow. That actually answers one of the questions, too. You hear that, though? The the guys who are listening to that, right? We, We constantly talk about the most desirable man is the man who makes and keeps commitments to himself. Hard yes. commitments, right? And it's, you know, it, me personally, just to be vulnerable, you know, I came back from, this was, se- you know, seven years ago, six years ago, but the brink of divorce, right? Mm. And and I uh, I was probably one of those men who was looking for a mommy, right? Yep. Like so many men are. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and my wife, you know, she she portrayed a lot of that uh, maternal energy on me and not necessarily that that more sensual and, and healthy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, spousal energy, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, I got some advice from my father-in-law who's luckily still my father-in-law. And mm. he, he basically said to sum all this up was like, you got to change for yourself and not for her. Cause if you change for her, she'll notice. And she yep. did notice I came, I was working in Florida and she was living in South Carolina and I was coming home on the weekends. And I remember coming home to save the marriage. And I just kept like, punching a dead horse, right? Kept just mm-hmm. strangling this dead horse. Cause I'm like, mm. Oh no, I'm serving you. Look at everything that I'm doing. And so, you know, and, and luckily I was able to make those changes to realize that the, you know, to value the intrinsic nature of things, right. Yeah. And look at virtue in and of itself as, as the goal, regardless of the result, like you said, it, even if divorce were to happen, then yeah. you know, I, I, I started to value. You're getting the, divorced for the right reasons then exactly. like, like they're coming out of virtue. Yes, exactly. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so to the men listening, it's like, you have to look at this and say to yourself, you know, um, where do I fall in this and how do I use these tools? What are, how can I self reflect? How can I, you know, employ some introspection here to see where I fall in this? My guess is that a lot of us fall in this without even knowing that we're there. Right. Because we're, like you said, we, we believe our own lives lies so heavily that it's like, no, that's not me. That's not me. I I don't know. I would argue that that's a a vast, maybe hopefully not a majority vast amount of marriages. Yeah. Yep. I know this is Jennifer's podcast, but my, my, my thought on that is every man is because you have a threshold of so much you can handle before the emotions take over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my theory is like, you know, and I'll let you respond to what Jordan said, but my theory is that that is, you don't have to shame yourself when you hit that failure. That's just a recognition of, Oh, my suffering muscles is is a little weak. I had to go level it up. Yeah, I remember something yeah. from a podcast. Jennifer, you said, you know, in, in like the LDS culture and, and I think in the yep. Christian culture, it's like we think of us and then the wicked, right? There's yeah. there's them and there's the wicked. And it's like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. We are both. Yes. We're the righteous exactly. and the wicked. We're, there is exactly. no separation. I'd love the idea of it's like all out there. It's the best. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But looking at that in ourselves is less fun. Um, And yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, um, what a mentor of mine, Dr. David Schnarch, would often say is like marriage is a people growing machine or how I say it is it's a divine institution because 
it exposes your limitations, your dependency on validation. You're, de you're looking, wow. most of us get married for the wrong reasons. We get married to lock in somebody that has to love us, no matter how immature we are. <laughs> for eternity. Yeah. For eternity. I, and I you waited get for you. I waited right. for you this whole time. Exactly. Exactly. When you fall in love, that's what you're falling in love with usually is this fantasy. This person is finally gets me, gets how great I am. And it's going to love me the way I've always deserved to be loved. And then you find out they're actually different than you and they want different things. And they're not just there to applaud you at every step. They're like, wait, I think that's actually kind of selfish what you're saying. And you're like, what? <laughs> the marriage now feels problematic. Well, it's because it's revealing your limitations to yourself. And happy marriages um, is really about how you deal with that exposure. Oh, if wow. you get cruel and you try to pout your way into shutting your spouse up or whatever it is you do, you limit, you damn the marriage. You limit its ability to grow and grow you up. But if you okay. use the suffering in it to grow, you you have the reward, the intrinsic reward of a free a space of freedom and joy and love, actually. This is so cool. The way you presented that is so beautiful. Yeah. And like I said, I talked to the guys in, on my team. It's like you get an argument with your wife. You should be like, oh, I didn't know we were going to get in the squat rack. Perfect. I, I didn't realize it's time for squats. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's growth time. Yeah. They, I didn't realize. They just wow, handed you a set together. of weights. No, yeah, exactly right. Together. It's a workout right now. And and so, That's right. okay, this brings up another question then. And this is kind of fun. And I, um, you know, you have values. And you know, you just talked about how you realize your spouse has different values because sometimes yeah. you're young, especially in the Christian world, yeah. you know, yeah, you sure. haven't found yes. your values yet, you know? Yeah. And so you have totally different values. How do you deal with that? Right. You know, and, 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 and you know, I'm not, I'm just, yeah. obviously I didn't give you this question, but I, this is a good well, you one. You stay in honest so conversation guys. until you work it out. And, and it, sometimes that's a period yeah. of years. But you stay in it in a way of, so, you know, for example, I grew up relatively poor. My husband grew up relatively wealthy. We had two different orientations. I had to earn everything I owned from age 12 on. He didn't. There was just more there for him. But my husband was much more concerned, like, we don't need all that. Let's not shop there. Let, let's not go to Whole Foods. There's no, you know. Let's go to this dumpy grocery store. <laughs> okay. For some of the conversations we had. <laughs> Where I, I grew up actually cleaning people's houses. And so, like, for me, I was like, no, I don't want to live like that anymore. I'm sick of living like that. So, yeah. we both had legitimate reasons for standing where we stood, but they were, we couldn't, we couldn't Align. agree to disagree. We had to either spend or save any given dollar. And so, that was how are we going to work this out? And so, you know, the way I wanted to work it out was let me win if you're a good husband. <laughs> yeah. No good husband makes his wife suffer. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying my initial impulse was to, to pressure him to take care of me in a sense. And then I started to wake up to the fact I'm not being fair to this person who legitimately feels more at ease when we have more in savings, who legitimately doesn't want to feel pressured to to live outside of what he values and it wasn't that my value was wrong and his was right but like how do we care for each other in this like don't take advantage of his desire for me to be happy and so it meant some self-confronting and recognizing that you know like that he that i couldn't take advantage of him 
He didn't want to take advantage of me either. So over time, we just evolved into something where, you know, we were living in a smaller place than I would choose, but a bigger place than he would choose. Right. I mean, we were were saving more and giving away more than I would choose and, you know, spending more than he would choose. So like both were true, but working out in a way to see the wisdom in both positions. So it, it pushes you to define what is the best in your value and the lesser part in your value. What's the best in my partner's value and the lesser part in there? Like, how do we be true to the the higher desires in each other? Because it will make you both stronger if you can confront your own ego reinforcing stuff for what is best in your partner. So this is a very powerful statement you made for a couple who's kind of going at it together. Yeah. But let's say, and I feel like, and this is a generalization, ladies, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't know if this, I don't know the date on this, but I feel like sometimes ladies are braver to be like, I need this, I need this, I need this. And it's, but got, men are too, but in a different way. I'm talking about fiscally, yeah. like you were just talking. Men are like, I want sex, but it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so like in the economic, so first of all, I think women are kind of taught the idea that men will provide for them. Yes. It's a, di- so it's it, like a man will alleviate, he'll caretake me. Okay, so they're not dumb. They're like, okay, well, guess what? I want this. <laughs> yeah, duh. I, I love how you use want. And so my question is, when you're critiqued as a man, let's say your your wife or or and this is just because this is tailored towards yeah. men. This can go towards yeah. women too, because there's women probably listening to this. But when your partner is more willing to critique you on their based off of their values and not your values or whatever this is, um, and it just keeps going, you know how. How do you respond? I don't know. You know, I guess what's the perspective? Well, so so one thing is that is understanding, right? Because one of the dangers, Ryan, in this idea of, you know, kind of dutiful suffering or that's not the word, but like higher suffering in a marriage is to be careful Mm -hmm. that it doesn't go in the wrong direction of what I Perfect. want doesn't matter. What I desire doesn't matter because that's what a lot of women do. They, they kind of fall into yes. the selfless ideal and soon enough they're disappearing in the marriage. And that does not make mm-hmm. a marriage stronger. No. So your higher self has to show up. Your higher desires must be on the table or the marriage will run itself into the ground. So that doesn't mean you have to just, you know, if your spouse is critiquing your values on her values, that doesn't mean you need to just be toe to toe, you know, fighting on your values. But you do need to be honest and say, I don't want you to be unhappy. But it really matters to me. Let me just take it back to my example between me and my husband, because these are things he said. I, yeah. I hate to not give you things you want. I want you to be happy. But it's also really painful for me if I feel like we're living too close to the edge. It's it's very hard for me. So he's bringing his honest self into that marriage for me to deal with and for me to be a good partner and to live into my truer self. I need that information. I mean, thank goodness he hasn't withheld his better self from me in that sense, because it would allow me to go off the rails Mm -hmm. in this false caretaking and make me weaker than I need to be. Uh, that would not be good for the marriage to be defined by my values alone. It would be terrible. So I'm better for him bringing his honest self, not in a ego defensive way, Uh, not in a, I'm going to prevail way, but like, no, this is a line that I can't cross and be true to myself. And this could be portrayed with men sometimes as um, a wife, they use naggy or whatever, you know, because they're in Mm -hmm. there. 
Yeah, this is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to get at is, is how the, and you, I love that you, is to appreciate the bravery mm-hmm. that yes. it takes or to appreciate the strength that it takes to defend one's values in your wife. Yes. You yes. know, to say, thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. I, I need some time to go over this because I'm a selfish bastard. But the first thing that comes to your, your, your mind is thank you, though. If you can get that, just thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's so massive. Right. And so I'm going to use that information to clean up my own internal compass. Why do I have a partner who's nagging me? Like, am I not taking responsibility? Okay. Is that part of it? Is it that she's, I've let her be the owner of this issue and therefore she's got to always be putting the fire under me. And I'm a part, I'm complicit in making her my parent because it's not sexy and I'm not taking up my own responsibility that I actually value. Or do I not value this? Right. And I need to, I, I need literally to thought that. of like 10 things when you said that. Uh oh. We don't have three hours. We don't have three hours. No, no, I'm, I don't mean 10, 10 questions. I mean 10 things that I need to prove on in my Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Dude, I was like, let's make a list of the thousand things that we have to improve in our marriage. Yeah, yes. you know? um, yeah, exactly. Like, oh my God. I'm putting her that in a maternal so position that I don't like and she yeah. doesn't wow. like. Wow. I would say that's so the powerful. vast majority of men, too. I, I, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I can't Definitely. think of. I think the first, I've been married for 16 years. I would say the first 10 years of my marriage, I thought that that was the norm, right? Because I right. watched, I watched maybe my parents be that way. I think a yeah. lot of us, our, our generation watched our parents be that way. So I, right. And so you're complicit in, in devaluing your own authority in the best sense in the marriage. I don't mean authority over your wife. I mean, sure. you're half of the marriage. So a lot of times in parenting, Husbands can often be passive and uninvolved and they're waiting for their wives to tell them what to do and what's needed. And, and, you know, there's part of that because they're doing different roles. So that's that's different than am I involved enough to have my own judgment and thoughts about this? Because if you are, then it's then it's legitimate to say, okay, I appreciate you think that's the right way. But this is why I think about it differently, not to protect your ego that you're not saying that. But if you actually are thinking about it differently and you think just yielding to your wife's view is not being true to your best judgment, then you should speak up. Okay. Again, to get more truth on the table, not to manage your punctured sense of self when she's, you know, pestering you about how you parent. Sure. And I think you use the term being known in a marriage, right? Maybe elaborate what that that concept means being, how are you known in a marriage? Right. You're revealing yourself. You're revealing your honesty into the marriage. What we usually do is we are much less interested in intimacy and we're much more interested in validation. So the way we talk to our spouse is to convince them or to mask who we are so that we don't face the invalidation, but that's ego driven rather than intimacy driven, which is I'm willing to tell you what I think, let you know what I really feel or believe about this. I may be wrong and I'm not saying I've got it all figured out, but this is how I honestly think. That's, you know, um, a great kindness. There's a book called Crucial Conversations and they talk about how in organizations we have a difficult time getting invalidating data onto the table and therefore undermine the strength of the organization. This is very true in marriage also, is that you don't want to speak and reveal yourself at the risk of it creating upset in our partner. But there's a real distinction to be made between the desire to prevail 
right? Or punish your spouse for thinking differently than you versus reveal yourself into the marriage. And that's very, very important for the marriage to be strong. Love that. I love that. If it's okay, I'd like to shift gears a little bit to get to a couple more questions. I know that we don't have all the time in the world and and your time is valuable and appreciate you being here. Um, And I think this will actually help men with some of this as well, because we tend to, to, I have three daughters. I have a a 13 year old, almost 14 year old. In fact, tonight is her very first dance ever, her her eighth grade dance, very big event in her life. Um, And then I have a nine year old, almost 10 and a three year old. Um, And I think, um, you know, we tend to view our daughters much differently, obviously, than we view our wives. And so I think, I think conquering this question will help maybe be a little more sympathetic to to men or to the wives or help men be more sympathetic to their wives as mm. viewing them like our daughters. Um, and you, you kind of spoke to this point on another podcast, but, you know, seeing that the, the Judeo-Christian tradition tends to lean towards women's virtue as mm, a yes. thing that's like seemingly owned by the husband or the father yep. or the ecclesiastical leader. And I'm really curious because I, I want to help my daughters specifically understand this concept that how do we as modern fathers help our daughters understand that their virtue is their own and right. that they, they ought to be virtuous because it is in and of itself good. Not because it's like, well, I have to be clean for the man or I have to be right. virtuous for the, the ecclesiastical leader of the father. How, how can we, right. how can we, help what a solid question. That? Yeah. A couple, a couple thoughts is you got to be clear about that already in your own mind, sure. right? Whether that's in your marriage with respect to your daughter, because when we're thinking from this lower level need-based idea about marriage, well, then we do think, well, your, your virtue does belong to me. Your virginity belongs to me, you know, or I'm going to keep myself virginal so that a future man will accept me. That's so much the thinking that a lot of people have is that I'm going to not threaten his ego through my sexuality. And so when, when we think like that, we're going to communicate those ideas, whether or not we know it. So the first place to start is to think about, do I really see it this way? Because if I do, my daughter's going to feel it. It's going to affect the way I think about modesty or the way I think about her sexuality. So that's secondary because it will just reveal itself. Your daughter will track that you feel that way. Now, yes, you want the messaging to be that your sexuality is such an amazing gift and such a a central part of you belonging to yourself, your own body, your wisdom. And so to be at peace with that part of being a female and to um, protect it because it's so core to your sense of self. So to not ever use it to get approval from others, to not ever be lesser within yourself, to get a man or a guy to like you. Because when you do that, you, you're toast. The, the, the relationship is toast. Because if you ever prioritize somebody liking you over you liking you, it's not going to go well. So... Wow. So then the question is, what do you desire around this part of yourself? This is in my kids course is starting to talk to kids and adolescents about a self-defining frame, this higher desire frame. What do I want with this? I know this, you know, here's the rules of the family. Here's the rules of my faith, all these external ideas. But this isn't about just keeping everybody happy with me. I need to make me happy with me. So what do I desire around my sexuality? So I was teaching the adolescent girls in my 
congregation a few years ago and you know i i taught them okay here's the rules the law of chastity for those who are latter-day saints i want you to journal right now how do you what do you want with your sexuality what if you were to live relative to your sexuality in a way that you would feel good about that would create the life that you desire okay well so many of the women at least the ones who spoke up that wanted to share they were talking about they desired commitment they desired a kind of faithful partner and this is there's a lot of psychobiological reasons for this right like women are vulnerable if they are sexual with another person they're vulnerable to disease they're vulnerable to pregnancy there's a lot of reasons why women are very scrutinizing in their sexuality but teaching young women to be true to that in themselves not to earn anything from someone else but to earn something with themselves because teaching them to be true to the best in themselves is the is the secret to their strength will allow them to not overuse this self-sacrificing muscle that's often very um already strong within many women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And 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 I think that um I think you gave the practical tool right there, right? How do mm. we actually educate? Cuz that's that's the thing. It's like I was going to ask that question like how do you not cr- that's the wrong word. I don't want to say curb, but how do you help them value the right desires? Right. Cause I, and, and I also think that there's a lot of external influence from like in our, our, you know, uh, our situation, the congregation, right. Or ecclesiastical leaders or mm-hmm. women's leaders within like the church or, or within society to go one way or the other. Um, so yeah. I, I, I guess the, the, another question that I would have then is, is beyond, beyond just that, beyond those tools right there, you know, how do you I'm trying to formulate this correctly here? Cause my daughter is kind of in a place right now where she's 13, she's turning 14. She's interested in boys. You know, how do we, as men, do we limit access to some of this stuff? That's just out there, right? There's, there's influence everywhere you go, whether it's on television or it's social media, which we, we don't let her have per se, but she has access to some Pinterest. And then at school to what lengths do you go to limit that type of influence? Cause, cause of your fear that that may induce them into to acting on things that they ought not to, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, let me give the larger principle, um, which is you, you, your adolescence, the thing that's so hard about being a parent of an adolescent is they're pushing on the question of freedom and they need to be, and you're trying to figure out how much freedom is optimal. So, because in order for them to become adults, they have to be able to work wisely with freedom. And so they're in this process of trying to push on the limits, referencing you less and their peers more. And, you know, saying, you know, like the title of a book, get out of my life, but first, can you drive me and Cheryl to the mall? You know, so <laughs> that is, they're, they're dependent, but want independence. They want you to get lost, but they need you. You must have so- been talking to my 13 year old. That's crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that fundamental <laughs> tension is there. And good parents tolerate that tension. It's not a fun time, but they're like, okay, there's going to be this kind of push and pull between us. So how much freedom can my daughter handle? Because she needs to be able to handle more autonomy, but not give her so much that she's at risk or at risk to herself. The other thing is, is that in our modern society, women have a lot more freedom as we should, but women and girls are vulnerable to sexual predators, you know, and so... I teach this in my kids course too. how to equip your daughter with this, the kind of signals and understanding of what's going to 
put her at risk, like never be alone with someone. I mean, there's just these things. Um, I can't, I can't pull them right now to my head, but like a way for her to assess, is she alone with someone? Does she have like a way to, you know, to keep herself safe and give her the tools to protect herself? Um, but the more we kind of offer women a kind of protection, not because they're weak, but because they are vulnerable, which is two different things, okay, um, is is allowing in, in, the better that women do. So this sense that, um, you know, I had five brothers and I knew that they would protect me, like they cared about my well-being. And that that did give me a kind of comfort of knowing that I had backup, right? That is... So, that yeah. is really interesting that you bring up because you have your boys and your girls possibly. Mm-hmm. And so there, I don't know if there might be parenting difference. I have little ones. Okay. I'm weak mm-hmm. sauce. We're just, yeah, we're yeah. I was seven, five and two. We're just getting yeah, started. Okay. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. But, but I do have boys. I do have girls. And so, um, how do you share this message of you're vulnerable versus you're weak? Like without yeah. so, putting so them in a position of- where they feel yeah. weak. And scared I'll, and anxious, yeah. you know. I'll say this, and then I I do have to go in a minute. But but um, um, I know I, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come on again sometime, though. It's yeah, this fun. is fun, huh? But but you know, so okay, so weak masculine wants to possess. Weak masculine says, "I want you to slide underneath me to make me feel strong." Right, but it's dependent, and it's trying to kind of say, "You need to be small so I feel big." And so your weak is this idea, like keeping you dependent, keeping you referencing me, big man. Okay. That's, that's weak, masculine, weak, feminine. And it's pushing for weak in the feminine as a, as a false goodness. Protect though is different because the feminine is the life force. It's growth. It's, 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 it's beauty. It's art. It's expansion. And so the masculine looks outward to protect the feminine. So the feminine can flourish and even cast a shadow over the masculine. Do you see? And that's what good sexuality is too, is that it facilitates that feminine, you know, flourishing because she knows you've got my back. I know you care about me. Why would I not flourish here? But if a woman thinks she's got to make him feel strong and she's got to act small, well, women actually, in my dissertation research, would often act more sexually naive than they were to manage the ego of the man they're with. They're not going to flower there. They're not going to basically bring all their sexual capacity to that marriage because they think they've got to manage him and it's not safe to do it. Because to really surrender into your pleasure, you got to trust that the man can handle it and wants you to do that, meaning that it that he wants to facilitate that in you. And so you want to teach a kind of that feminine, we need it societally. It is equal to the masculine. But to thrive, we got to protect it so it can flourish, but not own it and not condescend to it. Wow. 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 We, 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 yeah, this has been be that man. To slap in the face in, in a way, in a good way, I think. And I hope a lot of men hear this and, and hear. I got to level up. Yeah, I've got to level up. I've got to make some changes. Jennifer, it's been so awesome to have you on the podcast. My um, pleasure. It's been like just a cool back and forth. And that's why we love having guests on because it's it's much less of a an interview and much more of a, a hangout session, which has been yeah. pretty fun. So 
Um, well, why don't you tell people where they can find you on social media? Uh, I want you to talk a little and, bit about your, your courses, courses and what's coming up. Yeah, sure. exactly. Good, good. So you can find me um, on Instagram, Finlayson Fife, just one word. Um, my website is finlayson-fife.com. And on there, you can see my courses. I have a podcast called Room for Two, where I'm actually working with couples on issues. I'm coaching couples anonymously, but you can listen in on their stories. Um, and hear my input on what's interfering with their ability to create this kind of dynamic, open-hearted, passionate marriage. Um, the courses, I, I'll, I'll just focus on maybe two of them, but they're all there and you can learn more about them. But strengthening your relationship is an excellent starting place because it's, it definitely is helping you to understand what your role is in a marriage that may be too validation-based and not truthful enough and therefore limiting its ability to be passionate. So it's a, it's a good place to start because you, you just get that deep dive into, oh crap, I'm a part of the problem <laughs> and this is how, but it's designed to help you see what to do differently and how you can handle these areas of conflict or difference in more productive ways. The other course that's, you know, many of the themes that we've been talking about is in the art of loving, which is my men's course. I developed it with LDS men in mind, but it's very applicable to any faith-based person, but really, to be honest, any human being. Um, Let's go. Uh, right. <laughs> around, you know, how to basically face in yourself the areas that you have related to sexuality and a partnership in more of this using way or trying to get a self through your partnership, as opposed to stepping into your strength and using sexuality to love more deeply, to give, to create strength, not just your sexuality, but your whole soul and your whole self. But that's very much a part of our sexual selves. So the, the course is really about helping you see yourself more accurately and giving you tools to change and to grow into a man who's more trustworthy, who loves more deeply, who's more knowable. And one wants to open up to feels safe being next to Thank you very much. I think you should have saw Jordan's face and my smile when you said you you know you'd like to come back. What? That's awesome. Let's do it. Part two. Thank you Part so two. much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.